It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. broadcaster he's drew remenda and you're listening to the drew remenda show welcome welcome everyone to the drew remenda show no i am not drew remenda currently speaking i am ted ramey the host of morning tide here on the sharks audio network and i am turning the tables on drew for this episode and making him the interview subject because the news is out drew is back he is going to be part of the sharks broadcast again this year He'll be doing color on some road radio broadcasts. From time to time, he will be on Sharks pre- and post-game coverage, and he will be on a handful of TV broadcasts as well. But right now, we're going to get you caught up on everything Drew's been up to. Drew, what's going on, man? I'm good, Ted. How are you? I'm good doing to see good. You. Uh, you know, I'm just, every day that we get closer to the season, I'm, uh, I'm probably annoying my wife because I'm running a little hot because I get excited at the start of the season. And there's going to be Real game. We're taping this on Monday. I'll tell everyone there's going to be real games tomorrow. So, you know, anyway, I'm running hot. (laughs) The first things first, Drew, I want to bring everybody up to speed on what you've been up to because they saw you on pre and post last year, um, you know, doing your reports from Saskatoon. Um, But I know that after the Sharks in 2014, you went over and you're with Edmonton for a while. So from there, bring everybody up on on the Drew Remenda experience. First off, uh, thanks for holding my hand. Uh, an old uh, guy like me, who's a, you know, a person who doesn't know technology from his, you know what? You're gonna have to be more than just one episode with me though, but to, to help me, guide me along though, pal, I gotta tell you that. Everybody knows that after I left the Sharks, I went to uh, Sportsnet, joined Sportsnet and broadcast the Oilers games for six seasons. It was a really interesting experience. To say that the fans didn't like me, might be the understatement of the year. But you know what? It's funny because broadcasting, you don't get into broadcasting to to be light. You really don't. You get into broadcasting because you love the sport that you're broadcasting and you love being around the game still. And it's uh, not very heavy lifting. <laughs> you know, it's went to Edmonton. I got to work with great people in Edmonton. The, the one thing that is always, I've been really lucky in my broadcast career. You know, after I, I was coaching and I, I went into broadcasting to simply get back into coaching. So I get I get in with Danny Rizanowski. And Malcolm Bordelon and Greg Jameson hired me back way back when. And I get in and I get to work with Danny. And that year, I interviewed with Barry Trotz in Nashville twice. And the second time, Barry said to me, he said, you, you like this broadcasting thing, right? And I went, yeah, you know, I, I really do, Barry. He went, okay, okay, that's good. That's, that's great. But I simply got in just to kind of network around. But the more I got to work the more I really enjoyed it. I, I love talking about the game. I love broadcasting the game. I liked talking to the fans. I liked interacting with the fans when we were in San Jose and talking hockey and laughing. And I liked doing those things. And I got to work with Danny. It's great working with Danny. 
you work with a person who's a friend, you work with a person you've known for a long time and it's really easy. And then I got to move to TV and I worked with Randy and Randy's like a brother to me. You know, he's one of the funniest people I know. And we had a great time on the broadcast. Sometimes maybe a little bit too good of a time. <laughs> so, and then I moved to, you know, I leave, I leave the Sharks and I go to, to Edmonton. I work with Kevin Quinn, longtime play-by-play guy in, in Sportsnet and Gene Principe. And everybody, anybody watch Gene Principe, um, he does the interviews and pre and post and he's the host of the show, right? I couldn't have asked with two more outstanding human beings and outstanding professionals, just super, super people. And the people I worked with at Sportsnet in the truck, in like the, the producers and the directors and the technical guys were top-notch too. Just like in San Jose, where I got to work with Sean Madison, Darren Stevens, Frank Elvin, Liz. I, I mean, I got to work with all those great people. I hate to break the people that, you know, when it comes to broadcasts, especially on TV, the guys with the suits on, us, yeah, we're not doing any the heavy lifting's going on in the truck and they're making everybody sound and look good. So I've been really lucky broadcasting because of the people that I got to work with. And that didn't change when I was in Edmonton. What changed when I was in Edmonton? And to be honest, I'm I'm a little I'm a little apprehensive about coming back to the Sharks. And not apprehensive because I I I, I don't know the area and I don't love the area. I love the area. I love the fans. I love that team. That's where I got my start in the National Hockey League in 1991 as assistant coach. I'm apprehensive because I don't know why, and I've said this before, and I, I don't question it because I'm so grateful for it, how the fans always really liked what I did and how I did what I did. And I'm a little worried that the nostalgia of me is not who I am now. You know, the, the nostalgia of God, Drew was great because Drew said it like it is, and Drew did this and Drew did that. As we know, the stories grow and maybe aren't as accurate as the person I am now. So I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little gun shy about coming back because I'm hoping that I don't disappoint the people who have held me and and liked me in such high regard. You know, so I'm I'm a little I'm I'm I said it to my wife. I said it to Michelle the other day. She said when I was you know planning more stuff coming down and and she said what's the matter? And I said I, I'm 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 not nervous, but I'm I'm a little anxious about this. I said, what if I don't have it anymore? What if what if what was happened in Edmonton as far as the fans not liking me and and as far as the net work saying, you know, you don't talk it. And the first time you ever heard anybody say this to me, you don't talk enough. What if you're not, you're not, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm excited about it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm hoping I don't let anybody down, you know, because a lot of people have, re have really gone a long way into saying, Hey, we want you back. And a lot of people have worked their tails off to get me back. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I guess this is, you know, growing up, like I grew up as the, the youngest of three boys and a, an old a father who was, he wasn't, Fred McMurray from My Three Sons, let's just say that. You know what I mean? So you don't want to screw it up, you know? So, but over, you know, and it's a long, it's another long-winded answer of the fact that been away, did my thing. Last year was terrible for so many, so many people. It was just a bad year for everybody. And just, you know, almost two years now, just trying to get through it. I have enjoyed my time in, back home and my wife has not yet got sick of me, which is, you have to wonder about her taste in men. I started doing a way back when, 2000, whatever it was. Just right after the first lock, the first lockup, okay? Started doing a radio show here in Saskatoon, the Drew Amanda Sports Show, two hours a day, late at night. Uh, it was like a family and friends network. The only people listen to it. And this radio station here, and then, it, then it grew and it became Sports Night with Drew Amanda and Jamie and I, who's, he took it over after I left in, I think, 07 or 08. Um, and it became the Green Zone with Jamie and I. Now it's the Green Zone with Jamie and I and now me again. I'm back, I'm back doing a, four hours a day from two to six Saskatoon time. And we talk um, in Saskatchewan. You talk, I don't know how much you know about the Canadian Football League, but you talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Again, 
And it's amazing how many times you can talk about the sketch and Rough Riders in four hours, Bell, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but no, we, we, we cover everything. And so I've been doing that since uh, the 1st of June, and I'm going to continue doing that as I'm doing the, the shark stuff too. So another long-winded answer telling you that I've been doing a bunch of things, but I am really happy about the chance to come back and, and be with them. Um, it was funny. I was talking to Kelly Rudy the other day, and Kelly Rudy said this to me. I didn't tell him I was coming back to San Jose, but he asked me about last year. And I said, well, it's where I belong. And he said, you got that right. He said, I didn't want to say anything when you were at Sportsnet. He said, but you got that right. That is where you belong. So happy to be back, you know, happy to be back. I'm just glad I didn't wear my Montreal Alouette shirts today. So that, oh, they, I think they lost today. You know, I, it's funny that you talk about the, the apprehension and, you know, your quote unquote views of Drew telling it like it is. But the one thing that people have always told me that they liked about your broadcast is they said that, you know, for a lot of people in the Bay Area, you know, they weren't around for the Golden Seals or they're, you know, if they were my right. age, that was not, you know, a memory. I was nine when the Sharks started and I thought it was, you know, the coolest thing in the world, clearly. And people reference you as being someone who spoke to them who could explain the game of hockey when they had no background because i mean now i mean listen i mean there just weren't that many options when i was growing up in the bay area to play hockey now there's a lot more options nice. for kids to play hockey it's just i mean it's wildly different the difference between being born in 1982 when i was versus being bored after 1991 and people point to you and they say i never played the game you know, I would tune in for the Stanley Cup final when it was on TV, but it was not part of the day-to-day -day sports culture in the Bay Area. But they say Drew explained the game to me. He told me to watch beyond the puck, watch how the defense was responding, look behind, look who's trailing, look at where people are lining up. They, they point to you and said that it was your ability to translate the very complex into something very simple. I, you know, I, I think that's what people liked most about you is that you took something that people had no knowledge of and were able to explain it to them in very, very just, you know, layman's terms. Well, I got, I was lucky in my upbringing. My dad was a coach. Uh, I got to work for Dave King, famous Canadian coach, coached in Calgary, coached in Columbus. Dave was a Canadian legend from Hockey Canada. I worked for him in Hockey Canada. Wayne Fleming, I got to work with. I, I got to work with George Kingston in San Jose. I worked for teachers and the guys who, when I was young, that taught the coaches how to coach. My first job in in a serious, like first serious hockey job was video coordinator for Hockey Canada, the Canadian amateur team. At that time, amateurs were in the Olympics. And my job every day was to come in and watch video. Yeah, video. For, you, for some of you that don't know what video is, it was a way that we used to see things on TV and we wanted to record these things. So I used to watch video. And I would, I would literally, I would, I would have my book and I would start the, v, the VCR and then I would go zero, 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 one, you know, when the timer was on and I would go face off one back, right D, D to D center swing, neutral zone. And then I would chart everything. I did it every day. And then we started making these instructional videos for coaches where we'd bring a coach in and we'd sit, we'd focus on one thing, face offs or defensive zone or regroups, things that people didn't hear of. Mm -hmm. And I watched games from Russia. I watched games from the Czech, at that time, Czechoslovakia. We watched games from the Finland, Switzerland, Sweden, you name it. We watched it because we had the International Hockey Library because we were Hockey Canada. And I watched, all I did, that's all I did was watch. And we made these instructional tapes. And then we made, Dave, I started doing some videos for Dave. Then I started doing some videos for Calgary Flames, who we were in the same building. One of my jobs was, Dave said, uh, he, he came into the office and I was watching video, of course. And Dave said, what are you doing here? I said, what are you talking about? It's my job. And he went, the flames are practicing right now. You need to be down there watching and charting what they're doing. I went, really? That's my job too? Went, yeah. I went, okay. So I go down and watch the flames and whoever they're playing. I would draw the drills, you know, 
draw those out. See, listen, it, it was fantastic learning. I mean, that, talk about immersion into the, the game. Um, so my background was always X's and O's. My background was teaching because I got taught by teachers, by coaches who were actually teachers, university professors at the time. So that really helped. And I got to work for terrific people that way. And I always thought that we could always explain the game. You can always explain how things work. And just, and I hope he doesn't get mad at me, but Mike Babcock, triple gold coach, okay? Stanley Cup champion coach, mm -hmm. two Olympic gold medals, world championship, Canadian university championship. Mike and I have known each other for, since we were about 14, 15 years old. And he's coaching this year at the University of Saskatchewan, just a stone throw away from my house. And he's doing it on a volunteer basis this year, and he's doing it um, to build that program up. And so I called him and I said, hey, feel free to tell me to go take a flying leap, but when you're watching video, can I come watch? He went, absolutely, sure. Yep, no problem. He had taken every game from the playoffs, recorded it, broke it down with the computer system. And so since the middle of August, I've been sitting watching video with Mike Babcock and his son, Mike Jr., who's going to be assistant coach, and uh, uh, Brandon Cote. And Brandon's going to be the head coach that takes over from Mike next year. And I'm sitting there watching video. And I just sit there and listen, you know. And then Michael turned to me and say, do you see that? And I go, yes. He goes, you get it? I said, yes. And he goes, and this is, he says this all the time. He goes, well, if he gets it, then it, then the players will get it. And Mike, finally, Mike Jr. looks at me and goes, why does he keep, I said, because I'm a broadcaster. That's why I said, because we don't, we don't see things like coaches do. But after the first week of watching video with Mike, I came home and my son Donovan said, yeah, Donovan Davis coach football. Donovan said, uh, so what do you think? I said, I've been lying to people for the last 30 years that I know anything about the game of hockey. Because there are levels to this stuff, man. There are levels. But I, I've always liked learning. I've always liked learning the game and seeing the game from a different angle. I've always liked being able to break something down. Say, yeah, the goal was scored because it was a great shot from here. But let's go back. Let's check that out. One of the, my favorite broadcasters is, is Tony Romo. I love watching Tony mm -hmm. Romo. And he's like, it rooms to Damas. I mean, he, he, you know, he knows and he sees it coming. Now he played at the highest level and he sees the game at the highest level and he can break it down, but he can tell you what's going to happen beforehand. And I think people enjoy listening to, to and seeing the game so that they can increase their hockey IQ. And I don't think that as a color commentator, our job is to, is to tell you not what the play-by-play -play guy has just said, but just a more flowery, cliche hockey language, but to actually tell you why something happened, how something happened, not what happened, how and why. So I've always tried to approach it that way. And I always kind of approach it to what do I want to see when I'm on TV broadcasting? So that's what I try to do. And I'm glad, like, I'm glad people liked it. I'm glad people had enjoyed it. And we'll, you know, we'll try to keep doing it again. You know, if it was up to me and I was, when I was always broadcasting with the Sharks and I was with Randy, I always used to get on Sean Madison's behind about, Kate, okay, were you doing Drew's Clues today? We're doing Drew's Clues today, right? We're going to do Drew's Clues, right? And he can go, you know, not every day ask me Drew's Clues. And I went, okay, but I'm telling you, this would be a good day for Drew's Clues. You know, always pushing that agenda. But but I'm glad people like that. I really am. I'd say it was it was my my one thing that I that I had that was my strength was being able to see what happened and then try to describe it to everybody else. Plus the telestrator helps, man. <laughs> it does. No, I mean it, it's not like you were saying watch how F3 responds. You were showing people, you know, how yeah. and it, it made sense. But as a jumping off point, since you see so much and you know how to understand it, what happened to the Sharks last year? And I know the easy thing is to point at the net minding and listen, I 
I still think there's something to be salvaged in Martin Jones. I think he needed a change, which Great. that can that can be what it takes in an athlete's career. But I feel like it's and you can tell me if you know, like, hey, Ted, you're wrong. But I feel like it would be naive of me to just say, oh, it was the goaltending because clearly there was much more and injuries played a role. But you know, the, the team they were in it, and then all of a sudden they lost eight in a row and they were out of it. What did you see from the Sharks last year? Thirty thousand feet level what was what was happening when you always talk about goaltending and we do talk about goaltending you look at the sharks uh, goaltending in the last i think it's three years they're 30 or 31st in save percentage now save percentage sometimes to me is almost like plus minus okay because plus minus i think is the one of the dumbest stats in the world right <laughs> it's like in baseball hard hit into the middle second baseman picks it up he's going to first base and he overthrows does everybody get an error on that or it's just the guy who made the error right yeah. just the guy who made the error well plus minus is everybody could have their guy picked up and the defenseman could miss his guy and bang he's opening in and the puck's in but everybody gets a minus so it's not quite indicative of how the game is played save percentage is almost the same way as far as, okay, he's got this kind of save percentage, but what kind of chances are we giving up here? And that's why analytics, you can look at some analytics analytics and go, okay, they're starting to get a little bit more precise on this, which is grade A chances. Stop stops on sure goals, you know, goals let in that should have been stopped. So they, they, they kind of go all over and they really have a good look at it. Where the shot's taken from, where the chance is. Without a doubt, though, you have to look at goaltending and say that was one of the key issues. That was one of their weak points. And so Doug went out and changed the goaltending, which he had no choice. He had to. So you go get James Reimer, you go get Aiden Hill. And so when you look at those two, the question is, is this an improvement? I think it is for a couple of reasons. One, to me, Martin Jones has looked like he for, forgot how to stop the puck. And I think back to Devin Dubnik when he left Edmonton years and years ago and went to Nashville. And then he went on and on and on. But he was asked when he came back to Edmonton, what happened here? And he went, I simply forgot how to stop the puck. I just did. I, I, I don't know what happened. And you go through that. It's like a, a batter in baseball. You know, he just gets in that slump and he can't figure his way out of it. And so I, I just think maybe Martin with in a new situation and a new coach and a new experience will be, will be better. But I also think when you look at James Reimer, James Reimer's a workhorse. James Reimer has been around the league for a long time. James Reimer is a from any, I don't know James, but from anybody I've talked to regarding James, his outlook, his positivity, his vibe is really, really strong. You gravitate and want to play for the guy. I think Aiden is a, a good goalie who's got some potential, but it's still going to be a question mark for the Sharks until they prove it's not, right? Yeah. It's a great thing about hockey. Defensively, you'd have to look at that team and go, okay, what happened? And when I talk defensively, I'm not talking about defense. Defensively is an entire concept. It's an entire team, I mean. It's an entire group. And the problem with when we talk about defensively being good, we want to focus on defense, the defenseman, and we focus on playing in your own zone. That's the problem. The most important zone in hockey is the neutral zone. They've done studies and studies and studies. That's where you can create your offense, but that's where you can shut down defensively. If you are doing a bunch of things from the offensive zone through to your blue line, one, tracking back, two, shrinking the ice and pushing, three, standing up and forcing guys before they enter the zone, not giving up your zone, contesting your zone. If you have five guys fully engaged, non-negotiable, you're all in on this. You don't have to play much defense in your zone and you can really take a lot of the pressure off your goalie. And I would like to see the Sharks really employ that this year. If you watch Tampa during the playoffs, nobody did it better. Mm -hmm. Nobody. They track back. They shrink the ice. They push guys to the boards. They're D stand up. They do an outstanding job. And they also, they don't even let it sometimes get to the neutral zone because they play such a great forechecking system with their third man high that the D jump in all the time and pinch. Don't give anybody an inch. Let Go me jump. Okay. So on that concept. So then how Eric Carlson and Brent Burns 
they're D-men, but they're also rovers. Yeah. So they can be a little out of position. How do the Sharks play that style of hockey while covering up for those guys to take advantage of their offensive abilities? You have to make sure a couple of things. Number one, you have to make sure that you have that third man high and your forwards are really attentive to what the D is doing and know who you're on the ice, not only against, but with. Number two, you can't, if you're Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, take huge risks. You've got to play everything smartly. And I think last year they took some risks that they were really, the risk reward wasn't there. There's too much of a risk factor versus the reward. But I want my guys being aggressive. I want my guys to feel that they can go because they can trust the guy that's over there. If my third man is there, before I'm going to pinch down the boards, before I'm going to go down, I turn and I look at my left, my guy's there. I communicate with him. Go on. He, yep, go. You know, or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Or sometimes it's just a look and, you, and a head shake and you're gone. And you go in and then you make sure you get numbers. Numbers have got to be there before you jump in. And for the Sharks, they are not lacking in speed. Not at all. If you look at their lineup, they've got some quickness in that lineup and they'll be okay in that regard. But defensively, my thing is, and I believe that Tampa proved it and I like Florida did a really good job. Carolina was really good at it. Vegas was even good at it, but they were a little bit more of show, show and go. The key is don't give them an inch. Don't give up anything. Don't back into your zone and play in your zone. The last, the least amount of time you spend in your zone, the better off you're going to be. So I'm hoping that's how the Sharks are approaching this year. Because when we talk about defense, we don't have to talk about playing in your own zone. The offense did not give them much help on nope. the penalty kill, or excuse me, on the power play last power play. year. And we'll talk about the penalty kill too, because that from a year prior took a, took a dive. But the five-on-five play, the power play, or at least creating things even to where you wore them down on the power play and get a goal shortly thereafter. They had a top six, but after that, it got pretty thin. I mean, obviously, there's a number of factors in their injuries were part of that. Tomas Hurdle dealing with COVID as well. I mean, it was, it, was, it was stacked against them last year. But, you know, r- right now, the situation with Evander Kane, who was their best offensive player last year, uh, he is non-rostered pending the results of the NHL's investigation. However, I'm looking at Timo Meyer in particular, the archetype power forward of the, mar- of the modern game. And I'm saying that's who's got to step up big time. That's who's got to play up to his level. Because I know what Tomas Hurdle's capable of. I know what Logan Couture is capable of. And he's the captain. And, I, and I, if he's healthy, I expect him to be Logan Couture. But Timo Meyer who has shown us the unbelievable ability and he can take over a game and that power move he can make towards the net. I'm looking at him as he's the guy who's got to step up. Agreed. A couple of things when we, when we look at the power play and the power play always kind of ebbs and flows. I think bringing Johnny McLean in is a really smart move by Doug and, and Bobby Bugner. Love his uh, haircut. Oh, I so do I. He's such a good looking man. Um, <laughs> I love Johnny Mack. Johnny was a, you know, a shark for a while. John's a Stanley Cup winner as a player, Stanley Cup winner as an assistant coach. He, he was with Jacques Lemaire, 13 years behind the bench uh, in the NHL. John's really smart. John's got a good offensive mind because he was a good offensive player. His thing, from what I've been told, I haven't yet had a chance to talk to John, but what you do is you give concepts to the guys from a coaching point of view. There are some set plays you use on, on power plays. There are some that are there. But really, when you're looking at power plays, The key on power plays is to be able to read and react. But when you read and react, be in the right spots. And there are, there are some times that I thought the Sharks wanted to just get to their spots. Just one of the things last year, I think it was the last game that I broadcast, we broke it down on a, on a mini Drew's Clues about how the team was, was breaking into zones. And the possibilities were there. The, the system, the scheme, call it whatever you want, the plan was there. The execution was lacking. There are a few things you have to do in the power play. Number one, you've got to finish your routes. Everybody uses that drop pass, but there's other options you can use. you got to finish your routes. So that's number one. 
you've got to then be able to either enter with speed and support, or if you if you're if you're going to chip and charge, chip and chase, or whatever you want to call it, you've got to outnumber opposition. Get the puck, and then once you get the puck, you have to expand the zone. You got to get out of jail because the penalty killers will want to push you into the small boards and get you in jail. You've got to expand the zone. So when they detract or when they re- retract, you have to expand. And then how do you do that? You go low high. You go east west low high, and then. Get the puck to the net. Nobody is better in the National Hockey League than Brent Burns on getting the puck to the net from the point. Nobody's better at the north-south one-timer. Nobody. And nobody's better at just taking that little extra step and finding that seam and getting it there. But in order to do that, in order to get there, getting the puck to Brent, that's number one. Number two, you've got to get to the to the net. And you've got to get underneath the opposition players. So if you're standing in front of the net, Ted, and I'm going against you. You're defending. I've got to get behind you. I've got to get underneath. I've got to get between you and the, and the goalie in order to make the goalie back up, get a little bit smaller, and then be in position for the rebound. There's a lot of things that go into it. I think Johnny, well, I know John knows all of that, and that's how you have to keep working on it. You just keep working and working and working until you perfect it. One thing I've always believed, too, when you struggle, simplify. When you struggle, get the puck back get it to the net, get numbers on recover and do it again and again and again. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing John and what he does with this, because I think sometimes a a new voice, even though he's probably preaching the same concepts as the old voice, it resonates a little louder because it's just, Oh, he says it different. Maybe has different terminology and terminology is, is currency for coaches that you are able to kind of click in with some guys who maybe weren't figuring it out before. And and then it is, it does, it does come down to execution, man. And in order to execute, you've got to be a detailed guy. And Timo Meyer has to get a little bit more detail in his game. I think Kevin LeBanc can take a jump up in that step too. And the other guys, you can't just simply keep doing what you're doing because it's not working. Get back to work. What about the penalty kill? That even when the Sharks were having a downturn in 2019, 2020, the penalty kill was still strong. Last year it went down. Now there's part of me, and I'm sure as a coach you will hate to hear this, but I always felt like there was you could feel a little bit of defeat setting in. I felt like the emotional sure. factor was setting in. And I felt like they were playing uphill. It yeah. felt like. And I felt like that was a factor. But does that matter? Not last year. Well, I mean, not this year, I should say. Yeah. Last year, it didn't matter. Yeah, they had a, not excuses. This is just, a, this is just simply facts. They had a really interesting start to the year, obviously, about where they played. They were, they were playing, as you said, uphill a lot. As you get more in the season, and this is from a guy who was on a coaching staff that lost a hundred games quicker than anybody in the history of the National Hockey League. Thank you very much. I'll keep that record. The defeat, the, the human nature of, uh, it, it just happens. That's what happens. So one of the things that the Sharks penalty kill did the previous years is that they were very, very aggressive and they were aggressive in the zone. And I'd like to see them get back to that. The, the, that defense that we were talking about, playing defensively, that's where it can start. We can, you can pressure up ice more. You can be better in the neutral zone. You can contest your zone more. And you don't give teams time to set up. NHL players are too darn good nowadays. They will make passes that you don't think that they can make. You got to get on them and you got to stay on them and you got to continue pressure. Not, it's not everybody going at once. There's, there's obviously four guys moving at the same time. You got to own the front of the net and you've got to make sure on you contest your zone and you got to make sure your clears are good. These are all things that the guys know, but the mm-hmm. way you do it is the way you do it. I mean, you have to make sure that you are willing to go out and make the right adjustments and the right, be on your toes all the time. I think their penalty kill will improve, but I think you're right. I think last year, a little defeatism took over. What did you think of the five-on-five last year? I felt like it was very inconsistent, but there were times where I felt like both both sides, offense and defense, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. 
but then there was a breakdown and I, yeah. and I, and that's what happens is like, you're, you're good until you're not. And if you do that enough, you're going to lose. Yeah. Right. The game of hockey is a game of mistakes. If you can limit your mistakes, you're going to be a better team. And I agree with you. I thought that the sharks, there were some good things and some good plays by some good players and some bright spots. When you look at that team, you've got a good core. You've got, I like, the addition of Benino and Cogliano, I think they'll help. And you've got a defense that I think, even though probably their best years are behind them and Mark Edward Vlasic and Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, they're still pretty solid contingent back there. The key is, and this is where I think Benino and Cogliano will help, on mistakes, and James Reimer too, on mistakes, they're not catastrophic, where it's the wrong giveaway at the wrong place at the wrong time when the game is in limbo. And then it goes against you, and you're again, you're going back to that resignation that we talked about. Like, oh... Yeah, you can see it. Again. Yeah, you oh, absolutely. Could, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes it's the bad goal that goes through a goalie. Sometimes it's the bad giveaway. Sometimes it's the major mistake on a turnover. But you could see it. They wore it. But again, last year's last year. Clear the mechanism. Get to work this year. And I, I think when you look at their five-on-five -five play, they've got a lot. They're not a team where you go, they're brutal. They're not. They're, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not that, it's not that yeah. team. They do have potential. They do have potential. But it's not the sexy San Jose Sharks of old. We know that. The, the days of Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Danny Boyle, Joe Pavelski, Evgeny Nabokov, they're, it's, they're gone. This is a new team that's trying to build into that team, that type of team where they're a contender every year. So in order to do that, if you look at, you know, like I said, Bonino, Cogliano, Reimer, Hill, Eklund, by all reports, has been very, very good. Um, I liked I liked Ferraro. I loved the way mm -hmm. that he played. I like Radic Simic. I've always liked Radic Simic. I look at that team and I think they've got to play as mistake free as possible, and that's hard to do through 82 games. But they can be a team that will give other teams problem with if things went right. And of course, this is thanks, Captain Obvious. If things went right, they they could be near the end of the year playing some really meaningful games in late March, April. How do you think Bob Bugner has to play this? I mean, he's Bugner was really interesting last year because he was very honest. The saying about him is that his personality does not match his nose. I found him to be very, <laughs> very thoughtful and very, very interesting when he would talk after the games. And I felt like he pretty understanding of his team. There were a couple times he got pretty hot earlier in the year. Yeah. I think they scored four on the road in St. Louis and lost five, four, and he five, was four. hot. Yeah. He was hot after that one, but most of the time it seemed like he was pretty aware of what was going on. And he was, some criticized him for being too honest. And I always view that as a positive. He wasn't, you know, blowing smoke. I think that's a good thing for a coach to do. But I think this year he's in another tough situation where the, the division is going to be relatively wide open after Vegas. I think they're the clear best team in the division and then Edmonton probably second. Then it gets a little bit murky, but even then, I think it's still it's very murky. But like you said, this isn't the sexy Sharks of old. He's trying to develop younger talent, of which some of it, like Mario Ferraro, he's stepping into his prime after what we've seen from him in the first couple of years of his career. And then you look at William Eklund, and I'm not a scout, but I think it's exciting every time he touches the puck. You feel like yeah. something can happen. And that, that's the eye test. That's, you know, that's the best I can give you. And he positions himself well. But, I, you know, you're going to see more of that than I could ever see. But at the same time, I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, there's a core of players here that if you gave to other coaches, they would say, yeah, of course I want that. Of course I yeah. want Logan Couture and Tomas Hurdle and Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. Who yeah, wouldn't? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. But at the same time, like you said, it's not the sexy Sharks. There's a part of me that views this team in the lens of what they were versus what they are. 
That's a challenge for Bob Bugner because he's trying, I mean, listen, it's it's the crappy sports comparison, but the San Francisco Giants had a bunch of guys in their 30s who are supposed to be beyond their best years, and look what they've done. Yeah. I mean, that's so what a team can do. The renaissance happens. I feel like that's a possibility, but I also feel like, Ted, you're a jackass for even bringing that up. Why would you put that sort of pressure on it? <laughs> well, but pressure is a good thing. If you are a, a player or a coach going into this year thinking, we just want to be competitive. We just want to have some close games. And you're not in the, you're in the wrong friggin' yeah. business. Now I, I'll, I'll go back and I, please forgive me for being, Oh, when I was a coach third, third year, we lose, we lose 71 games the year before. Okay. And we go into training camp. I'm, George has been fired. Bob's been fired. Kevin Constantine, Wayne Thomas, Vasily Tikhanov, Derek Eisler come in and I, I remain because I could do video. And Kevin brings everybody together. Now we bring in a lot of guys. There you go, Arleonov, Sergey Makarov, Todd, Alec, Jeff Norton, Gaetan Duchesne, Jamie Baker, Sean Cronin. We can bring in lots of guys, lots of new guys, veteran guys, Dean Lombardi, composites, a veteran team. Have our first meeting at the Hyatt in Berlin game. That's where our training camp headquarters was because yeah. we were at the, at the Cow Palace. And Kevin gets up and addresses the team. And I'm sitting beside Mac and uh, Igor. And Kevin says, we're not here to be competitive. We're not here to be respectable. We are here for one reason and one reason only, which is to win hockey games and make the playoffs. Igor turns and looks at Mac. I'll never forget it. Igor turns and goes, I thought we signed with the Sharks. And they giggle. I kind of laugh. Kevin goes, in case you're wondering, we are going to shock the world this year. I'm going to ask more of you than has probably ever been asked in your careers. And again, Igor turns to Mac and he goes, does he know who we used to play for in Russia? I laugh again. And Kevin gives, and Kevin was so good at this. Kevin says, we're going to demand more of you. We're going to need more from you. We are going to be a team that, as I said, will shock the hockey world. And they worked their ass off that team. He was, he was the most demanding coach I've ever been around. Everything was scripted. Everything from the start of every day to the video sessions to how we played the game. The guys used to joke, Bakes will tell you this story, but the guys used to joke on a goal. If a goal got scored against, they'd come back to the bench and Bakes would look at, say, Ray Whitney and say, what happened? And Ray said, well, you were on, you were on quadrant G3. You were supposed to be on G2. <laughs> and I was on H1, but I should have been on H3. That's the kind of stuff they do because that's how we broke that game down. That's how hard Kevin yeah, broke yeah. the game down. It did constrict some of that creativity, but it did at the same time give these guys like a system that they never balked from and really led us to you know well it did lead us to the biggest point improvement from one season to the next and the and the famous jamie baker goal and beating detroit but the point of the story is is the fact that you shouldn't be demanding anything less than winning if you're a professional athlete that's what you get paid to do and bob Bugner should not set expect expectations low and i don't think he will your expectations should always be we are going to be playing for the stanley cup this is what we do we're trying to win every game and we're going to make the playoffs and we're going to play for the stanley cup that's just it. There's no, again, that's a non-negotiable. But here, here's my takeaway though, is you're talking about the constriction of that structure and what, you know, you should have been in G3 when you were in G2, yeah. stuff like yeah. that. But it goes back to your early statement, but by taking away maybe some of that creativity, it limited the opportunity for mistakes. And so if Bob Bugner has to do that, does that mean he has to sit guys down? Does that mean yes. he has to say, hey, you're going to ride, you're going to ride the bench for a bit because you you screwed up. What's the one thing a coach has in order to get his message across? These guys get paid millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars. Every one of the guys on that team, well, not everyone, but his top guys make more than he does. And they got guaranteed term 
longer than he does. What does a coach have? Ice time. That's his thing. He has ice time. And coaches now, it's it's real different with coaches now. Coaches, coaches now aren't like coaches back when I was coaching. You, you don't yell and scream at guys anymore. You don't, you don't skate them into the ground anymore. You don't do those things anymore. You have to get players to believe in you before they believe in what you know. You have to get players to know that you've got their back, you trust them, and you will you will have their back no matter what. If they make a mistake, it's a game of mistakes. That's what happens. But there are certain, as a couple times I've said, non-negotiables. There are non-negotiables in the game in any game, work ethic, supporting your teammates, being part of a team and not putting yourself first, all these things that go in there, but also certain ways that you, certain things you do on the ice are non-negotiable. Yeah, Bob will have to sit some guys. Bob will have to make sure that guys understand that if they're not meeting the Sharks level of expectation, then guess what? You're going to have to sit outside for a second or upstairs for a second and understand why I'm putting you there. And then you have the talk with them, you show them video, and then you put them back out and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you're not punishing, you're correcting. As one to wrap it up on, what are you going to be looking for from the Sharks beyond, you know, wins and losses, but what's going to tell you that there is success and growth happening on the ice? Are they doing it together? Is it five guys I hate this term, but we all use it as broadcasters, buying in. And when I'm talking about buying in, are you all in? No shortcuts, no cheating on on the offensive side in order to score a goal. As much as I have this huge thing about shot blocking, I think it's one of the dumbest things coaches have ever brought into the game. And and the way that they have demand guys put themselves in front of a 100-mile-an-hour missile, are you in the shooting lane? We'll have have the shot block debate one of these days, and I'll, I'll go on. It's, it's, it's one of my, my rants and I'm trying not to be that guy anymore. Are you all in? Are you playing together? Are you willing to put yourself, your, your stats, your, your numbers, whatever in a, a way in order for the team to progress? Are you team first? And you can see that when they play. Yeah. You can see it. I'm going to look for body language. Body language is a, if, if you're clued in, man, oh man, if you look at body language, you will see, it will reveal tons. Are you slumping the shoulders? Are you staring at a guy after a goal's gone in and you said that it was, you think it was his fault? Are you, are you up on the bench? You know, are you sitting there twirling your stick? You can't wait to get out. I'm going to look for body language. I'm going to look at, at leadership. And I think you can see leadership. If you look at, I'm looking, I'm interested in Benino and Cogliano and Reimer. I'm looking at Brent Burns and, and Eric Carlson. Can they bounce back? Can Mark Edward Vlasic get back to that dependable, solid guy that we, we've always grown, we've grown to absolutely adore because he was a, a mistake-free kind of defenseman. And then, as you said, there's certain guys, you know, Ken LeBanc, take a jump up. Can Meyer take a jump up? How is Tomas Hurdle? You know, when we're talking about contracts, things like that, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you can look for, but to me, you can break it down to, are you all playing the same way with the effort, the max effort you can give? Ronnie Wilson used to t- call it maxing out. Are you maxing out on every shift? Or are you saving yourself? So that's what I'll, I hopefully can be able to remember how to see. <laughs> Well, Drew, that seems like it is as good a point as any to call it a quits on this first episode of the Drew Remenda Show, but I don't think you did anything to ratchet down my excitement. My wife is going to be dealing with me bouncing off the walls. We shouldn't. We should be getting excited. It's it's hockey season, man. We should be getting excited. Absolutely. And great thing, fans back in the building. That's the best thing about this. It makes a difference. Huge difference. That's all for us today, folks. Stay tuned to the Sharks Audio Network for more episodes of the Drew Remenda Show.